0: Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more story, less time, less ukulele. Well, for now at least. In this episode, kegs are easily the best investment I've ever made in brewing because they kept me brewing. How about you, Denny?
1: Yeah, I would say that uh, that was definitely one of the major reasons that, uh, that I'm still at it. Uh, I'm not sure it's the only reason, but boy, it, it made a huge difference.
0: But we do also have to face it, it's really hard to share your draft beer very easily. After all, not many of us have friends who'd happily receive a sweating five-gallon keg of beer. So we're going to talk to some of our tricks and tips that we have used over the years to make sure our beers are more readily shareable.
1: But before we do that, we're going to take a message so you can hear from some of the fine people who make this show possible. The seltzer sensation is here and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making home-brewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer yeast and nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer recipe kits, which are for bladed to make up to five gallons of refreshing 4.5 percent seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, Raspberry Breeze, Lemon and Lime Smash, and Pineapple Sunset. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a group of more than 40,000 individuals from more than 70 countries who share a passion for brewing and enjoying great beer. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org.
0: All right, welcome back, and thank you for listening to those messages from our sponsors. Remember, if you have a chance to interact with anything, tell them that you heard about them here on The Brew Files. Now, to the subject of today's episode, most of us start with bottles. Even in this day and age of everybody going, oh, don't do extract anymore, just go straight brew in a bag. Most of us still start with bottles. Face it, they're relatively easy. They're relatively fun in a way. It's a whole other process to learn. And it's also much easier to put a bottle into a fridge than try and shove a whole keg into a fridge. And at some point in time, bottling becomes tedious. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's putting it mildly, man.
0: <laughs> I don't want to wash 900 bottles in order oh, to brew ba- batch of beer. Yeah. Now, we do realize that there are some of you people out there who do continue to bottle for years and years and years and years.
1: Yeah, you know what, man? I've heard people who prefer bottling to kegging, and I, I try not to think of it as a character flaw, but, you know, it it's weird.
0: And to that point, most of us lifers, so to speak, uh, in terms of home brewing, do switch to kegs at some point. Uh, I switched to kegs at about batch six. Denny, when did you switch?
1: You know, I don't really remember, but I would say probably within the first year of brewing.
0: The man who keeps meticulous notes and diaries and can tell you which batch number he's on doesn't know which batch he switched to kegs on.
1: Oh, I'm sure I wrote it down, but I don't want to go back and look through uh, 12 notebooks to try and find it. Actually, I don't have to look through 12, probably just the first couple, but still, (laughs) you know, it's in there somewhere, but I just don't know.
0: There you go. And as we alluded to in the intro, kegs are wonderful. I mean, after all, one thing to clean. Okay, multiple parts on one thing to clean, but still relatively one thing to clean. You can make your beer as carbonated as you want. You can make it not as carbonated as you want. You can pour yourself a tall glass, a short glass, a medium glass, three glasses, whatever you want. That's one of the beauties of kegs. But the problem is that kegs are not very portable and shareable. Just think about it. You got a lug. What is that? Like 50 pounds of gear in order to actually be able to serve a beer if you want to do it from a keg. And we're talking a full five gallon keg. Yes, we know two gallon, one gallon kegs exist, but not the point. it it could be it could be yes if you want to share a small amount of draft beer go ahead and do a keg of one gallon keg i've actually seen i think more beer has some new one gallon or two two gallon kegs out there they're kind of really cute
1: yeah i have uh, i have some that are a gallon and a quarter i have one that's two gallons and one that's three gallons
0: oh that's right yeah because the the pico kegs are
1: the pico kegs are a gallon and a quarter yeah
0: yeah those things were awesome for most of us who don't have access necessarily to a gallon and a quarter keg how do we make our beers more portable? Denny, how often do you have to share beer?
1: <laughs> Not very often because I stay home all the time. <laughs> This is true. Um, You know, every once in a while, I send some out to you or or other people. Uh, Most of my bottling consists of uh, bringing up a pet bottle with a carbonator cap on it from the garage because I can't get all the kegs in my uh, keg fridge in the house. So I have to transfer it two liters at a time.
0: But if you're doing competitions, if you're sociable, unlike Denny, if you're the kind of person who just wants to be able to show up at a party and go, hey, I've got my thing. Uh, You need to find a way to make it more portable, and of course, the easy answer there is to go back to bottles or possibly growlers. The first question that we always think about whenever we're talking about taking beer from a keg to some other package format so that we can take that package somewhere else, and a package is just the generic term, by the way, in the beer industry for kegs, cans, bottles, growlers, crowlers, whatever, you know, a, a vessel capable of holding beer first question that you have to ask yourself is how long does that beer have to last in the package? Am I going to pour this beer into the package and drink it later tonight or take it to a party tonight? Is it going to be drunk by the end of the weekend? Is it going to have to last for a week, two, three? Is it going to stay cold the whole time? And these are kind of the questions that you have to ask. Now, if the answer is it's only going to last a short time because I'm taking it over to Charlie's party, and Charlie and I are going to drink that thing now, then your options are kind of endless because you have far less worries. Now, the easiest thing, if it is a short time, is a growler, if you want a half gallon, or say, even as Denny alluded to, a two liter with a carb cap. Or, you know, let's say you still want to be classier than a two liter with a carb cap, then go into a bottle. But the nice thing is that you don't have to really complicate your life very much just take a draft line add a tube to it if you actually have faucets on your kegerator and you're not using cobra taps like i actually still do and i think denny you still use cobra taps right
1: yeah but i just stick a piece of tubing into the cobra tap
0: right exactly you can stick a piece of tubing into the cobra tap or over the cobra tap um and if you do have an actual kegerator people do actually sell faucet adapters that will stick into the end of the the tap and come out into a hose. Um, whether or not you need that, it depends on whether or not you're just pouring from the caregiver. But take that, drop the bottle uh, drop the bottle onto the onto the tube, tube all the way to the bottom, and slowly pour, and then just cap, close, crown, whatever you do. If you need it to last, to say, the end of the weekend or possibly into the next week, then you can take a page from the people who do crowler fills or even do pre-filled growlers. You guys, remember those back in the day? Do a CO2 purge on them. Again, it doesn't have to be fancy. You're just trying to help maximize the chances that your beer is going to last very long. Now, again, that is what you can do if this beer is going to just need to last for a short term. As always, we recommend you keep the beer cold anything else for the short term?
1: Not really, but I want to emphasize one very important point you made. No matter what kind of container you're using, no matter what kind of filling equipment you're using, you always want to fill the bottle from the bottom, right? You don't want to go halfway down with your tubing. You don't want to just shoot it in from your tap. You want to fill the bottle from the bottom to minimize turbulence, Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think
0: uh, Mike McDonnell talked at one point about actually, like, filling from the top. Uh, But not all of us are Mike, and mm, you can't get away with it.
1: Yeah, right. I I certainly wouldn't do that, but (laughs) that's me.
0: Now, if the beer has to last for a longer period of time. So, let's say you're going to ship this beer to your buddy who lives a full state away. A couple of, what are we, about 1,500 miles apart, 1,200 miles apart?
1: I thought it was eight, but, you know, it doesn't matter once you get up to that point
0: a good solid 14-hour drive yeah right if you're shipping beer to your buddy like that or if you're shipping beer into a competition particularly a competition where you don't know how the beer is going to be stored over time Mm -hmm. then you need to take better care and this is where the precision starts to come in so obviously the growlers the crowlers the two liters with a pet cap those all go out the door no longer are you going to use those. Now you actually need to think about bottles and cans, like doing actual series packaging. And when we say bottles or cans, yield classic 12-ounce long neck, the Grolsch flip tops, if you're fancy, the 16-ounce can. I love my 16-ounce canners. And very importantly, Denny had alluded to it earlier, don't sleep on the brown PET bottles. Those little stubby, what are they, 12-ounces?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess. Don't sleep on them? What the heck? Yeah, don't sleep on
0: them. Remember that they're out there. They're useful.
1: Oh, okay. I get it. Uh, the other thing, too, is, uh, don't forget about, uh, 22-ounce bottles, too. You know, uh, you kind of passed those over, but, uh, they were yeah. pretty much the same as a 12-ounce, although you only have to fill half as many of them.
0: It, it is funny, but the 22-ounce uh, bomber has dang near disappeared. As a concept, at least in the commercial beer world.
1: I have several of them full of old Rasputin in my fridge right now.
0: Well, I know, but I'm saying that it's kind of almost disappeared. Like everybody's switching over to Kansas doing that. But yeah, the 22 ounce bottle, the bomber, or is, was it to ref- Get people to refer to it as a dinner bottle.
1: <laughs> yeah. Talk about euphemism.
0: So once you actually decide upon your package of choice here, the most important things that we think that you need to remember are you need to preserve carbonation. To that point, we actually recommend that you bump your carbonation up a little bit. Uh, I think what you and I are both typically at like one PSI over our nominal carbonation level, right? Yeah,
1: one or two, you know. Um, You know me, I kind of play fast and loose with carbonation, so whatever.
0: And the reason for this is because that unless you are perfect and fast – and completely agile at your bottling and packaging process, you are going to lose some level of carbonation in the beer. By the way, we're also assuming that you're not doing the old-fashioned counter-pressure filling. If you guys have ever seen a counter-pressure filler, uh, you know, I remember when I started and when Denny started, these were how you were supposed to bottle beer from a keg. Very complicated systems with lots of levers and a good way to spray beer all over yourself.
1: <laughs> exactly, man. Uh,
0: and and tubing everywhere. These days, most homebrewers are doing semi-open or open filling. You are going to lose a little bit of carbonation. If you're doing that, then make sure you bump your carbonation up a little bit. And actually, even back in the day when I used one of those crazy contraptions for pressure filling, I still felt I lost some carbonation. Even then, I'd still bump up my carbonation just slightly. Mm-hmm. The other big key worry, oxygen is absolutely the enemy at this point. As much as people want to debate about things like Lodo and HSA and minimizing oxygen exposure on the hot side, everybody agrees that oxygen on the cold side is a terrible thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, oxygen uh, anytime except directly prior to fermentation is generally not a good thing. And when you're packaging in a bottle, you especially want to try to avoid it. And
0: particularly in a can, but we'll get there. Okay, so again… Two important things to always remember while you're doing this, you're trying to preserve carbonation and you're trying to minimize your oxygen exposure because oxygen at the stage will damage your beer. It will take all those lovely hop aromas that you've tried to make and infuse into the beer. Go bye bye. It will turn all your malt into something that tastes like stale cardboard. You know, so don't go and relive your college experience of eating cold pizza. Keep the oxygen away for the rules, because as with all things in life, there are rules just knowing the rules is important. Sometimes you'll break them. Our rules for packaging are to go smooth, to go fast, and to stay cold. Now, what do we mean by that? So go smooth. When I say that if you are jostling carbonated beer, you're going to foam up, you're going to get spraying everywhere. If you're jostling your keg, anything that has actually settled into the bottom of the keg is going to come up into that nice beer draft that you're that you're trying to get into your bottle so as much as possible you want to keep the beer flowing smoothly so you get minimum a minimal amount of foam except for where you need it and also that you make the whole process smooth so that you can just keep churning out bottles again and again without having to stop without having, without having to reset without having to you know go ah i forgot this so go smooth now go fast this one should be pretty obvious to maintain your carbonation to minimize exposure to oxygen and contaminants, you want to move a newly filled bottle or a newly filled package through the whole procedure to close it back up again as fast as you can. So don't go lollygagging with open bottles and not not capped. I think when when we first started, or at least when I first started, I remember the the advice on how to bottle beer was to fill the bottle you know, and go through and fill each bottle and put it back in the, the case box and then cap it.
1: Right. Oh wow. Yeah. You know, and I I don't ever fill so many that I can't just cap them as I fill each one, you know? So right. that's if I if I'm uh, bottling from a keg, then my my procedure is to seal the cap on each bottle as soon as it's filled.
0: And as we said earlier, stay cold because oxygen may be the enemy, but heat is its ally. Yeah. One, because chemical reactions will obviously take place faster, at warmer temperatures, but also while you're packaging, heat is also not your friend because you'll lose more carbonation, you'll get more foam. So cold beer retains carbonation better, so stay cold as much as possible. And we'll get into like how far you can actually take that. Any other thoughts on the rules?
1: No, man, I think that uh, those are all very important, and you got them.
0: Now, this is one thing I do, and Denny, you kind of do something similar to it, but in your own Denny-esque way. I set up a bottle station. Uh, if I'm doing this, and because I rarely bottle, if I'm bottling beer, then I want to go and bottle beer. So if I'm doing it, I set up a bottling station, so I'll, I'll take however many bottles I need to make, and then I'll package some extras because I can always find a use for bottled beer. So when I do this, I'm using a beer gun and a small table and a couple of pitchers. Denny, you're using your cheap and easy bottle filter.
1: Yep, I am, uh, which is uh, a piece of tubing stuck through a number two single hole stopper. Uh, there's a uh, a desk right next to my beer fridge, so I just kind of like uh, set stuff up there and go for it. Uh, nothing very, uh, nothing very fancy whatsoever.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm a big fan of mobile steel islands. So when I bottle, my kegs stay in the chest freezer. So that one, the beer stays cold and two, I don't stir up any of the, the cruff that may have settled in the bottom, right? You know, any extra yeast that came out of solution after, after I put it into the keg, et cetera. Now I use a, a Blickman beer gun, which has a very long draft line. I think it's 10 feet and it's very narrow draft line. And so I've got lots and lots of maneuvering room. And as I said earlier, I have a little stainless steel table that's on wheels and I set it up near the kegerator, but I don't have to be too close lock it all down, and I put on that table, you know, a heavy pitcher, a heavy glass pitcher that's full of sanitizer, so I have a place to put the beer gun while I'm not actively having it in hand, and then I'll have a container of caps, also sanitized, and a capper, and then I keep the bottles down at at my feet in a bucket of sanitizer, so they're doing that, I also keep a little slop bucket around because you never know when you need one. (laughs) After that, filling just becomes kind of a smooth motion. I grab a bottle out of the sanitizer, drain the sanitizer, and make sure to shake it off so that I, I can minimize the amount of sanitizer left in the bottle. Take the beer gun, use it to purge with CO2, fill the bottle, make sure the flow is going slow and smooth, and then remove the filler, giving it just a tiny little squirt on the way out so I get a little bit of foam. Put the filler into the pitcher of sanitizer, and then grab a sanitized cap. Drop top the bottle, and then take the wing capper, seal it, and make sure it's actually really sealed. And then dunk the bottle back in sanitizer or water, and then put it put it away into whatever I'm storing the bottles in. With that doing that, I can do a bottle in you know about 20 seconds, and to me that's pretty fast. That's pretty smooth, and it keeps it going. Now, Denny, obviously you don't have the fancy gear. So, what's your bottling procedure?
1: Okay, I uh, set up the bottles and the caps uh, next to my beer fridge where the kegs are. Uh, and, I, again, I i can't remember ever bottling more than, say, six bottles at a time from a keg. And uh, it used to be more like four or so back in the days when I entered competitions. Three to send off and one to test myself to, uh, to check the comments that I got back. I use, as I said, a piece of tubing and a number two stopper with a single hole in it. It just so happens that the tubing that goes through that single hole fits right inside of my Cobra tap. Uh, so uh, I hook that up. Uh, I, I generally don't keep gas on the keg as I'm bottling, and that might be a mistake, but I don't. You're not bottling that much, so. No, I'm not, and and there's, you know, especially if I jack the pressure up a bit before I start, then I'm fine. Um, I unscrew one of the uh, disconnects from my CO2 tank. I uh, shoot just a touch of CO2 into the bottle. I seat the stopper in the bottle. And remember, like we said, you want to fill from the bottom. So the tubing that goes through the stopper has enough on the bottom side of the stopper to uh, go to the bottom of the bottle. Uh, the tubing coming out of the top side of the stopper goes into the uh, into the Cobra tap. Stopper gets seated in the bottle. Open the Cobra Tap. Bottle will fill about a third of the way, and then the back pressure will stop the flow. So I just grab the bottle and use my thumb to very gently crack that stopper just a hair, and the beer starts flowing very slowly, fills the bottle up. When it gets to the top, I uh, close the tap. I pull the stopper and tubing out, and I whip the cap on as quickly as I can.
0: And so you can see some similarities between what we're doing. Again, going fast, going smooth, and trying to keep everything cold. Keeping the beer in the chest freezer or in the beer fridge stays nice and cold. stays, stays doesn't warm up, so we're not dealing with any sort of excess foaming issues. Beer is easier to control. Using a long, narrow draft line. So Denny's got his narrow tube because you think about the, the width of a Cobra tap in the interior, because uh, you're shoving it into the, into the copper tap, not over the copper tap, right? Correct. Correct. Right. So that's a relatively narrow tubing and the narrower the tubing, the more it drops that PSI, right? So we talked about it in the Q and a show, and I don't know if it's in Q and a part one or Q and a part two, but, uh, we talked about draft resistance. And so the idea is that a very narrow tube will cause more of a pressure differential drop per foot. And so a narrow tube, like either what Denny's using or what the beer gun uses, sort of drops that pressure until you get to the end. And the goal usually with filling or even draft is to have that pressure differential to be nearly zero or one to get a slow, smooth pouring of beer. Correct. All right. And now Denny said that, you know, he cranks up his PSI just a little bit and then allows it to slowly drain off while he's modeling. I actually kind of crack the headspace. And I drop the pressure before I put gas back on, but I put the gas back on at a much lower pressure. That's what I do in order to ensure a smoother flow. Denny, I think, you know, you get an advantage because you actually have a little bit of back pressure that you don't have to worry about as much.
1: Right. Exactly. I'm doing so few bottles that back pressure maintains, but uh, I have been known to use like a, like one pound or so to push the beer too, if needed.
0: The other little secret trick that I do is if you've ever seen a beer gun, You'll, you know, that it's got that trigger to be able to actually pour the beer and I got a safety switch. If you're thinking like a gun, a little safety switch that actually injects the the CO2. Now, if you go back in the system, the way that they have it designed to be rigged, the CO2 that's being used to purge the beer is also the CO2 that's being used to drive the keg. So what I actually do for my own craziness is I actually use two CO2 tanks. I use one to stay on the keg. And I use the other one set at a lower, lower pressure. So like three or four PSI. And I use that to drive the purge. And the reason for that is the slow sort of pouring of CO2. Now, look, I mean, the CO2 blanket is a myth. We know that there's always going to be admixture of the gases happening. But the idea is to actually by using a lower PSI, you get a smoother, more laminar flow of CO2, which hopefully will minimize the amount of mixing. Right. So that's my weird obsessiveness. <laughs>
1: man, if, if I had to do that, I would never bottle. I have to admit. Well, I
0: don't, but it's, it, it, I, I have two CO2 tanks already. I already have two regulators. So, it's just, so,
1: yeah, so do I, man, but still, and, you know, it's just, just difference in style.
0: Yeah. Now this technique is very, very specifically used for open filling, right? If you are using a classical counter pressure filler, then you absolutely have to have the keg and the bottle at the same pressure, otherwise you've just kind of defeated the whole purpose of everything.
1: Yeah, really.
0: This is what I do with the beer gun. You could do it with Denny's method of just squirting in CO two, but you know, at that point, you know, it's you're always going to get a lot of mixture anyway.
1: Yeah, right. It's one of those things that probably helps a little bit, but mainly it makes me feel better.
0: The other thing that you could do is Denny said that you take off a quick disconnect from your gas and use that. If you have a dedicated faucet system, there's absolutely nothing that says that you can't actually do what a lot of breweries do and make a CO2 tap because you'll go to a lot of breweries and they'll actually use a tap at the very end to purge the cans that they're going to give you like a crowler or a growler with CO2 and do that. Uh, However, if you're doing that, then obviously you're set up to do more bottling than either of us do on a normal basis.
1: If you have one of those little keg chargers that uh, uses the 12 or 16 gram CO2 cartridges, uh, those are pretty handy, too, for just shooting some CO2 into the bottle.
0: There you go. Now, that's what we do when it's a normal beer, right, Denny? Anything else that we need to cover for a normal beer?
1: Eh, I don't
0: think so. Okay. So, again, go fast, go smooth, stay cold, keep everything organized. By the way, something else I will also tell you. Do a practice run if you're if you're trying to set things up, and you don't necessarily have to go and fill up a whole bottle, but at least move through the whole process. You know, once you've got everything set up, move through the whole process. Grab the grab your filler, grab a bottle, do your thing. Walk it through like you're actually filling. Walk it through like you're actually going to cap. Make sure that everything is set up mechanically so that you can be smooth because. Otherwise, you'll do exactly what I've done in the past, which is, okay, well, great. I've got everything set up. So here, let's go and start pouring beer. And I get like partway through the process and realize I've forgotten something. Like (laughs) I didn't put the capper on the table.
1: That's that's, that's my life no matter what I'm doing, man. I
0: know. But just walk through the process and make sure you got everything. Otherwise, you'll cause yourself some panic. Um, (laughs) This is true in great many things in life. And like all good advice, everyone will ignore it, including me. Yeah, that's right. Again, this is bottling when we're talking about kind of standard volume levels, standard sort of procedures. Things do change, and I'm going to cover two cases here, and then even throw in any other cases you can think of, too. One is you want to bottle a beer that has a high carbonation level. Now, as we said, all of the stuff that we've been talking about has all been assuming sort of nominal carbonation levels. So, say, anything under 2.7 volumes of CO2. Once you start to creep up like more towards three, three and a half, everything gets really screwy really quickly. And the reason is, of course, because all that extra pressure, all that extra carbonation means a lot of extra foam. So if you are going to do a beer that has a high carbonation level, let's say you have an amazing Saison or a Hefeweizen to beat the band with, highly carbonated, fizzy all the hell. You need to figure out how to get that beer into the bottle without going crazy. So biggest tip I can give you is keep everything colder, get your keg freezer or your keg system down to as cold as it will go without icing the beer. And then also do the same thing to the bottles. Instead of just making a sanitizer solution, add ice to the sanitizer solution, keep your bottles ice freaking cold. And then, this is the weird one because it's gonna sound like I'm this is gonna sound like I'm giving you contradictory advice. Pour slowly, work quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Okay. That <laughs> sounds like you know, one of those weird things where it's like, wait, what, huh? When you're dealing with a big high carbonation level, do that. Remember to pay attention to draft resistance. So if you can, longer beer lines, right? N- or narrower beer lines. But longer beer lines are your friend in this particular case because if you can drop that differential to dang near zero, you're going to have a better chance of not getting foam from a highly carbonated beer. Any other advice on high-carbonation beer, Denny?
1: Not really, man. That that makes sense. I don't have any personal experience with it. So if I get a bottle of high-carbonation beer from a keg, I'll just do what you said.
0: The other one I talked a little bit about earlier, cans. Now, cans are becoming more popular because there are more home canning systems that are available. Whether it's like the Cannular or the October or the All-American like I have, they're becoming more popular. Of course, cans are a little bit harder to come by today. If you're going to can, one of the biggest things that changes in this game, we emphasized earlier, you got to pay attention to oxygen, right? Oxygen's your enemy. With cans, it's even worse. And the reason for that is think about your typical bottle that you have a crown cap on relatively narrow area so as you're filling that bottle your interface layer becomes very very small in terms of like where you can actually have exposed surface area to have oxygen interaction with now if you've ever seen a can that's open and hasn't been sealed yet that's a much wider surface area that you're that you're dealing with and also a much wider area for oxygen to be trapped in so with cans it is very vital that you do even more to minimize your packaged oxygen. And by that, I mean a purge. A lot of professional canning lines will either do a CO2 purge or they will do a nitro purge uh, like the fancy ones. And then also make sure you get foam up at the top and that when you put the lid on before you take it to the seamer, that you're actually capping or seaming on foam. Those are the best things that you can do in order to deal with a can. Cans are a lot of fun. But they are a more technical challenge and they do require you to really pay attention to that total package oxygen. So be very, very careful, be very, very mindful of that. Um, Now, both Danny and I have very simple rigs for doing all this. We've seen some people out there that have dedicated canning systems that they've set up where they've essentially created mobile canning solutions for their brewery with boxes and things where you put the can in and the filler starts automatically. Those are wonderful. Those are also crazy. I appreciate the craziness. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have the space for that in my place. But if you're doing cans, it's all about total package auction and minimizing the hell out of it. So, Denny, I know you have no experience with cans, but are there any other things that you want to tell people about where they may have to take a different tact in terms of packaging from a keg?
1: Uh No.
0: Good. So that's our tips. Hopefully this was a nice quick episode. Give you some ideas. It is competition season uh, coming up here. You know, you're going to have the HA, You're going to have my clubs Mayfair. There's lots of competitions coming up. So for those of you who keg, pay attention. It's fairly easy to go from keg to bottle. It's just work and just a couple things to keep in mind. Thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of the brew files. We hope that you enjoyed this quick look at how to take perfectly beautiful draft beer. And give yourself the most portable option to carry it out to the world. What do you do that we don't? Just let us know at podcast.experimentalbrew.com. At now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast.experimentalbrew.com. At you can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew form known to mankind. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts, click the AHA, Amazon, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this
1: part of the year is... ...is to be decided. We uh, just finished up uh, collecting money for Project Freedom Ride, and uh, we're going to come up with a new one here real soon, so we'll let you know on the next episode. But in the meantime, rest assured, it's going to be a good cause, and keep contributing to Patreon. Yeah, don't
0: get- you can always tell us where you want us to give some money to and you know we'll throw a couple thousand bucks that way how about it
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and that's not to your beer fund
0: never to the beer fund. until next time remember to always brew wacky
1: or brew experimentally is out there getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing The Pro Series hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth, and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com.